When you think of classic love songs, no matter your age, what comes to mind? How about some Frank Sinatra, Love and Marriage? How about B-52s, like the song that's played at every single wedding and party, Love Shack? Or for the younger folks in the room, something like Sunflower by Post Malone? Since the beginning, humans have wrestled with how are we to be in relationship with one another, especially when you add romance into the mix. We might say it's pretty complicated. And then I ask, well, do I want for myself or my children romantic relationships that are modeled by our culture or movies or books or music videos? Love and marriage do not go together like a horse and carriage. Love is not something that I can just hop into my car and then reach a place called a shack and find it. And it is most certainly love in a marriage relationship is not something that can be compared to planting a sunflower and then going to and from it. But then, as I was reflecting on today, and I was considering how does the Bible teach us about romantic relationships, it wrestles just as much as culture. And so I have to ask for us, do we want our romantic relationships to be like the ones that are modeled in scripture? Were that it were so simple. It is so very complicated. Last week, Claire preached a beautiful sermon and in that, one of these fundamental truths since the beginning of time is that God created humanity to be in relationship. We were not meant to be alone. In fact, it was not until both man and woman that were created that God said it was very good. We were meant to be in relationship with one another. But I want to go ahead and be upfront, as I know some of you in the room have already kind of written this sermon off, maybe because you're in a different place. And as I was reflecting on these four sermons that we were going to approach in this season, I wanted to make sure that no matter where you were in life, whether married or single or divorced or dating, or whether you were a child of 10 or an adult of 95, that we might be able to find some truth from Scripture about how we can better be in relationship with one another. But on this morning, we are going to look at specifically romantic relationships. And honestly, I think it's best lived out in the context of marriage. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. What we're going to do to read that is a story from the book of Genesis that is a glimpse into the messy and complicatedness of romantic relationships that scripture presents to us, especially in the Old Testament. Before we read, let me give you a little context on our characters. The main character is a man named Jacob. Jacob is one of the twin boys born to Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob wrestles in the womb. Jacob is a deceiver, a trickster. And we're going to look at the relationship between the two brothers next week when we talk about, parent, about relationships within the family. At some point in his young adult life, Jacob is sent away by his father to go find a wife among their other family. 
Yes, you, you heard that correctly. Um, that Did I mention that part of the Old Testament view of marriage means you get to marry your cousins? Anyway, Jacob comes upon his relatives, Lant, Laban. And, and Jacob is there. He brings his flock of sheep to a well. And he waters them there. Well, it just happens that at the same time he is watering his flock, his cousin Rachel is watering her father's flock. Well, apparently it was love at first sight. <laughs> because we are told that after Miss Mc, Mr. McDreamy, I mean Jacob, after he watered Rachel's flock, he kissed her and he wept aloud. Y'all, this is like ancient Israelite soap opera drama. If you have been looking for like that next romance novel that's actually kind of racy, just read the book of Genesis. I'm not even kidding. So then you've got Jacob and Rachel, and they go back to her father hoping for an amazing future. That's what brings us to our scripture today. Before we hear the word of the Lord, let us first look to the Lord in prayer. Holy and gracious God, author of all truth, creator of all life and all relationships, we are looking to you, Lord God, this morning, not to our culture, not to what the experts say, not to what I have to say, but oh God, we pray that your word would speak to each of us in whatever way it needs to, to bring us challenge or encouragement or hope. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hear now the continued story. When Jacob had been with Laban for a month, Laban said, just because you're my nephew, you shouldn't work for me for nothing. Tell me what you want to be paid. What's a fair wage? Now Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel the younger. Leah had nice eyes. But Rachel was stunningly beautiful. And it was Rachel that Jacob loved. So Jacob answered, I will work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. It is far better, said Laban, that I give her to you than marry her to some outsider. Yes, stay here with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but it only seemed like a few days. He loved her so much. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I've completed what we agreed I'd do. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. Feel free to share that, what the meaning of that word is with anyone that asks you after parents. Laban invited everyone around and he threw a big feast. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah and brought her to the marriage bed and Jacob slept with her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her maid. Morning came. There was Leah in the marriage bed. Jacob confronted Laban, what have you done to me? Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? Why did you cheat me? We don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. 
We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Enjoy your week of honeymoon, and then we'll give you the other one also. But it will cost you another seven years of work. Jacob agreed. When he completed the honeymoon week, Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban also gave his maid, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her maid. Jacob then slept with her. And he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. He worked for Laban another seven years. This, too, is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I could spend the next 10 minutes telling you all the things I don't like about this story. But that's not what I'm feeling led to do. Our context today is so wholly different than it was in ancient Israel for Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. You know, when we read this story, we feel so badly for the women, their property. They're literally just objects that are used to barter for work for two men. And then there's part of us that might feel bad for Jacob. I mean, he was tricked at the last minute thinking he was going to marry his beloved Rachel and ended up getting the other sister. And then in order to get the sister that he wanted, he had to work another seven years. Some of y'all think like the four years in high school are hard to find a date. It, eemed, it all seems so very far away of how we do dating and courting and marrying today. One might say that the biblical view of marriage is complicated. But there are two things that this story highlights that I really do believe offer us some insight and truth into how we might do these romantic relationships with our married person better. First, y'all, Notice again, when Leah, what happens with Jacob with, his first, with the first sister Leah? We're told that Jacob is given this woman as his wife by Laban and that he sleeps with her. And it was not until he awoke the next morning that he realized it was not Rachel. We know there was a big party. The scripture tells us there was a feast. How in the world did this happen? We are told that Rachel and Leah are not twins. They are sisters. They are not twins like Jacob and his twin Esau. And we are told that Jacob noticed that they were different. Remember at the beginning of the scripture, it says that Leah had beautiful eyes, but that Rachel was stunningly beautiful. And that was who Jacob fell for. How did Jacob not know who he was marrying, who he was sharing a bed with. The only thing we can assume, y'all, is that Jacob never took the time to look at her. He never looked at her. He saw this woman as a beautiful object to obtain. Now, we know from this scripture that Jacob loved Rachel. But for some reason in this moment, Jacob had gotten so caught up in the series of events that this object, this woman, this partner had moved from a beloved to simply an object. Jacob's perspective had shifted from an us to an I and a you. 
When we do not take time to look at our spouses, we will fail to connect with them. And when we do not connect, the relationship remains an I and a you, not an us. Professor of marital and family therapy at Fuller Seminary, Terry Hargrave, he writes about the necessity for couples to work on us. This is what he writes. He says, the heart of us is not that I sacrifice my individuality for my wife, but that I willingly give a part of who I am for the sake of the relationship. You see, in our story, there was no giving of anything except a father giving a daughter as a piece of property he owned. It's no surprise it became complicated. When we approach our marriages, we must take time to connect, to notice, to look into each other's eyes and to form an us. Now, when I hear this, I think to myself, and I wonder if you do, well, we used to do that. We used to go on dates, you know, before, insert, whatever. Or when we were younger, when we had more energy, we used to. Or I just feel so disconnected from my husband or from my wife. Y'all, let's do something about that. Let's uncomplicate it. Do something this week where you work on us. Plan a date. Go on a walk. Run an errand together. Play cards. Try a screen-free evening. Do us. Consider how might I take time this week to connect and to notice and to look into my spouse's life so that we become more of an us as opposed to an I and a you. This leads to the second thing that I noticed about this story. Did you notice how many times the word work was used? How many times was the word work used to describe what Jacob had to do in this relationship? It's an action word, a verb. It connotes movement, effort, something that one can visibly see. And when you look at our theme verse, the one we want all of y'all to memorize by the end of this series, listen to what it says. Listen to the action. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ gave himself up for us. What if a message for us today as we approach our marriages or romantic relationships is how are we doing at the work of love? Are we imitating Christ, living a life of love? Are we settling into, mm, nope, it's just, it's just gonna stay complicated. I think we're better than that. As followers of Christ, we need to do better. Jesus said others are going to know who we are and who we follow by the way we love one another. And there is no better way to show the world than how we treat our marriage partner. No other place should that be more clear than in our marriages, in our dating relationships. And so let's uncomplicate things this morning. Let's keep it real simple. And we're just going to, three words from that theme verse in Ephesians, live in love. So live, when Paul used that word in the Greek there, 
It's translated as peripateo, which means literally to walk around. This word is a visual word. It would have given the listener an image of someone moving, of someone doing something. It meant work. The idea for what is about to happen is that this love thing that we're doing, it's something that's headed somewhere. It is a journey. This is the work of relationships, especially in marriage. So I picked up this uh, special time edition. I'm sure a lot of y'all might have seen this in the grocery store and thought, hmm. So I read it all. It's called The Science of Marriage, all about attraction, what keeps love strong, making the union last. It was good. Gary Chapman, one of my favorite authors, is quoted throughout it. I mean, there's some good nuggets in here. It gives a few different versions of keys to lasting marriage. But y'all, it's just the latest thing on the shelf. But you know what caught me is that it used the word science. You see, the word science tells it all. Science means the study of systems. And systems are things in motion The first step in uncomplicating a marriage is to make sure you are working at it. Make sure you are a system that is in motion. If you are not working on your marriage, it is going to be more difficult for your marriage to work. What are the ways that we live into our marriages and our romantic relationships? We do this by living in love And not in the way that the culture tells us, but the way that the scripture told us. Live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, living a life of love means it's less about me and it's more about you. It's surrendering my will. It's not always having to be right. It's not always having to have the last word. Truly discovering How is it that my spouse receives love? And even if it's not the way that I do, I'm going to do it because that's what living in love means. Think about what Christ had to go through for us. Was it comfortable? Was the sacrifice of what he did on the cross easy? The scripture tells us that we are to be imitators of that. And so this work of our marriages and our romantic relationships, it is going to be work. It is going to be, there's going to need to be effort. I love Gary Chapman and his books, and I I recommend them to you. And listen to what he says about this work of the marriage. He says, I will be the first one to admit that my marriage to my wife is in process. Yes, even after 42 years, he says. The reality is that every marriage is still in process, No one has a perfect marriage, but the good news is you can have a better marriage than you do now. You can have a better marriage than you do now. Gosh, I want that. I want that for all of us. I want that so much that when people see the way that you are engaged in your romantic relationship with your marriage partner, with the person you're dating, that they're going to see that love and they're going to say, I want that. And then you can say, guess what? It's not us. I'm just imitating my God. 
I'm imitating the way that God loves. It is not an I and a you, it is an us, and I am taking time to notice my spouse. Friends, I want you all to take just a few minutes, and I want you just to shut your eyes, and I just want you to reflect. What can you do this week where you can live into love in a a greater way? whether in your marriage or in all of your relationships. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.